0: And then later you regretted doing what you did out of fear. My brother is deathly afraid of spiders. Now, I'm not, I'm afraid of spiders, but he's like uncalled for, afraid of spiders. One time when we were in high school, he was driving and we were driving to our high school morning classes. Of course, like I said, he's driving and the traffic was terrible you know, road to rows, cars on each side, you know, multi-lane type road, car in front, car behind, that kind of thing. And then suddenly, ah! And I look over to my left and my brother is white faced, hands off the steering wheel, stiff as a board. A spider had crawled over the steering wheel was sitting on the horn on the wheel. And so I yell at him, I grab the steering wheel, Cause the car starts to drift into another lane. I grabbed the steering wheel and I don't remember if I'm the one that killed the spider or if he snapped out of it, and he killed the spider. Somehow the spider got, we got rid of it. And my brother managed to snap out of his coma thing just in time to put on the brakes before we ran the stop sign. Now you better believe from that moment until that the classes started in high school, he heard it from me the entire way, the rest of the way for him doing that. And thankfully, there was no big issue on that one. Um, but we can make mistakes that are far worse than that out of fear. And one mistake, the mistake we're going to look at in our story today, could have been a lot lot worse because we're going to be in Genesis 26, 1 through 11, um, and see a decision that a man made out of fear that would have been a lot, lot worse than what we said today. So you got your Bibles turned to Genesis 26. And this, we're going to look at 26, 1 through 11. And so if I could um, get somebody to read just the first half, there's two parts to this story. So somebody read the first half, which is uh, verses 1 through 6. And Josh, I saw Josh's name first
1: there. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Well, in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of, of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes,
0: and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. And the men of the place asked him uh, about his wife. He said, she you, you can stop there. So he settled in Gerar right there in verse 6. All uh, right. So when you meet up in, in chapter 26, we're in the Isaac part of Genesis. But as I've said before, Isaac really doesn't have a part in Genesis. He's kind of more of a transition to Jacob. And in fact, chapter 26 in its entirety is really the only chapter in the whole Bible where Isaac's kind of a feature of what's going on. Uh, you have this story and the one we'll talk about next week. Um, and so it, it kind of feels a little bit out of place, but the point of chapter 26 is really to show that indeed, Isaac was the one he got the promises and blessings that Abraham had. And to give us some sort of history before it, skips past Isaac and jumps right into Jacob, who's the focus of really the next section of the Bible. And chapter 26, does a lot of stuff to invite comparisons between Isaac and Abraham to positive and negative to show really that what was happening with Abraham is going to continue on with Isaac, that everything's passed down, the positive and the negative that we'll see. And so similar to Abraham, it says there's going to be a famine in the land. Part of what makes this chapter so interesting is that it's almost identical. I think it's chapter 12. Um, yeah, it's almost identical to chapter 12 with Abraham's story, especially when if I'd let Josh keep reading, you would have seen that even more. Um and part of that has caused some people who don't believe in the Bible to say, look, the the authors did copy and paste. And this, one of these two stories is made up. But as you'll see, and if you compare the two of them, there's a lot of differences between them. And partially of what makes this one obviously clear that it's a separate event is it actually references Genesis 12 in verse one. He says, just like what happened to Abraham. So the, the points of connection Aren't proof that it's a fake story that they put in again. It's the authors trying to force us to see that there's our similarities between Isaac and Abraham. And so the difference in Isaac and Abraham in this story is that in Genesis 12, when there was a famine, Abraham got afraid and he went all the way down to Egypt. Here, Isaac is almost doing the same thing. Now, those of y'all who remember who were with us for Genesis 12, was going to Egypt a good idea or a bad idea? It was bad. Any of y'all remember what happened in Genesis 12 in Egypt? It's okay, you can cheat. You can turn back on your Bibles.
1: <laughs> what <laughs> <earth> It's <is> it? <laughs> so
0: it <laughs> the whole chapter look at the end of it it was it was bad yeah, egypt was bad for abraham oh. Yeah. <laughs> Egypt was not a good not a good part of Abraham's life. So, yeah, there was famine. So there's famine in the land. Abraham goes all the way down to Egypt. He's afraid because he thinks that they're going to kill him for his wife. So he says she's my sister, which was a half truth because she was his half sister actually. And uh, the pharaoh actually takes him into his house and gets mad and rebukes Abraham. And it really is kind of a black eye on Abraham's story. You know, it kind of shows that he's not the, the perfect man. Uh, there's only one perfect man, and that's Jesus. Even Abraham had flaws, and that's one of the, the flaws that we see. So you get to Genesis 26 then, and you get Isaac's walking the same path as his father. There's a famine in the land, and he immediate thought is, let's go down to Egypt. Thankfully for Isaac, God stops him. He goes, okay, whoa, verse two, don't go down to Egypt. You stay in the land. And God gives him promises that really are meant to increase his faith, that he should stay in the land despite the famine. And they're reminders of what he said to Abraham. So join the land, and I'll be with you, and I'll bless you, and I'll be with your descendants, and I'll give you the land. And I'll multiply your descendants as the heavens, and I'll give you descendants to the land, and by you all the nations of the earth be blessed. So God is reminding Isaac of the promises that he has because of his father Abraham. In fact, he explicitly says, Isaac, you have these promises because I swore them to your father Abraham. And verse five, it was because Abraham obeyed me that you have these promises. So, because Abraham received the promises and Abraham obeyed God, Isaac is getting the benefit of these promises. And God's just reminded him of that. So, what he tells Isaac is trust me, trust these big idea promises that I've given you as a people, resist the famine by staying in the land. And so, Isaac, to his credit, listens. Uh, He goes, he stays in Gerar. Now, verse six is interesting, though, for two reasons. One is Gerar is possibly the last city in the promised land before you cross over into Egyptian territory. So when it says God stopped him, he stopped him like at the very last (laughs) second. (laughs) He let him go all the way down there. He uh, left the Lord Bethlehem. See if I can find the name of it. Beth Lahai Roy, dear Lahai Roy, to go down there. The second thing is, is that it says that Isaac lived there. Now, verse three, God said to sojourn in the land. To sojourn in the Hebrew meant a temporary stay. You know, a tent, um, not something that's permanent, but the verb for live in verse six means more of a permanent dwelling. So even though Isaac is listening and obeying God, there's already kind of a hint that he's he's cutting corners a little bit because instead of just sojourning there a little bit, he's decided to live there. And in verse seven, it'll say he lived there a really long time. So verses one through six set up then what happens next. It's against the backdrop of those promises. We have to, you have to keep in mind what God just did for him. You have to keep in mind the way God just reminded him of the promises that he would take care of. If you keep those promises in mind, verse seven through 11 looks a little bit worse. So somebody read verse seven through 11 for me.
1: When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca she is beautiful. And Isaac had been there a long time. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech. Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered because I thought I might lose my life on the camp. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech
0: gave orders to all the people. Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. All right. So verse seven says Isaac, he began to live there for a while. And people began to ask him, who is this beautiful woman he has with him? And he lies like his father Abraham lied and said, she's my sister. Now his, as bad as Abraham's was, at least that was still half true. This one's just a flat out lie because Rebecca's not related to him at all by bloodline like that. Um, They were like distant cousins. But he lies for the same reason. He thinks, and I'm afraid, even though I'm in the promised land, I'm afraid that these people are going to kill me. Remember verses one through six, what's happening here. The problem, what happens is, is when he tells them she's my sister and not my wife, is that opens her up to be married and that kind of stuff. And so the the promises of God then, which were safe are now in danger because now there's a possibility for Rebecca to be taken from Isaac and for God's plan to be disrupted, if I can use that phrase. God's plan can be disrupted because Isaac is being a doofus, basically, right now. And so, verse eight, uh, after they've been there a while and kind of putting on this facade, Abimelech looks out his window and the NASB says Isaac was caressing his wife. Uh, other translations might say playing or laughing. Or, uh, you know, does anybody else have something other than those three? Playing, laughing. What? Sporting. Sporting. Showing endearment. Showing endearment. That's an interesting translation for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Okay>.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that caressing. Caressing. My just what I have, says caressing. Uh, so he sees Isaac uh, doing this, and we'll talk about the word in a second with his wife. So now. Yes, <laughs> that's the point. Whatever the word is very complicated, and we really don't know exactly what it means, but whatever it means, it was obvious to Abimelech that she's not his sister. Um, the word what's interesting because there's a lot of different words he could have <laughs> used, Moses, <laughs> but I it was one commentary point something out that I thought very smart. The only other place you see this word appear in Genesis in relation to Isaac because actually appears again in relation to Isaac. And that is that it talks about Ishmael when they were kids were making fun of Isaac when they were children. And that got Sarah mad. And then they sent Ishmael and his mom away because of it's the same word. Now, obviously, back in the Ishmael Isaac story, it means to make fun of or to mock or it says laughing, but it can mean like a mean, spirited laugh. It kind of shows the broad range for this word. But Isaac's name itself means to laugh. And so what by using this word caress, which means whatever to play with or to caress, but also means to laugh or make a mockery of, Moses is saying that what Isaac is doing is not only making a mockery of Abimelech and his people, but he's really making a mockery of God's promises. Because by lying and going about this process, he's not trusting God like he should after God just told him to do that and he's making a mockery of God and it's his namesake really is laughter so verse 9 Abimelech calls him in and instead of Abimelech being this horrific figure whom Isaac should have been afraid of he ends up being the moral superior person he says what are you doing this we would have uh we would have Somebody could have lain with your wife. We would have been accidentally guilty of something that we wouldn't know we were guilty of. And so, not only does he not kill Isaac, but then he puts in an additional law that nobody can touch him or Rebecca. So, in a weird circular fashion, you see, like I God's going to protect Isaac. Isaac does something really dumb to jeopardize the fact that they could be protected. God not only protects Isaac, even though he made a dumb decision, but then uses that dumb decision to create a law that will protect him in the future. And then on, while they're in Abimelech's land, nobody can touch Isaac and Rebekah because of this event, Genesis 26, 1 through 11. So God used the bad situation to actually produce this good part in Isaac and Rebekah's life. Even though Rebecca and Isaac made God look bad, in the process made Him look like a mockery.
2: Why do you think Bemlik did this? What
0: the, was his motive the law? Yeah. Um, I think based on what happens after in verse the rest of chapter twenty six, Isaac was a very powerful person because he owned a lot of stuff, and uh, you have one the. The influence of knowing like, okay, I need to keep Isaac on my good side. But then secondly, I do think part of it is showing that Abimelech has uh, moral qualities to him. That he's not this murderous person that's just going to go out and kill people for their wives like Isaac Fierty was. And it almost is a foil where it makes Isaac look worse because this pagan king made the right decisions and he made the wrong one. So it really makes Isaac look even worse then. Um, but that's what I think. Why? One of the reasons people sometimes say that this story is made up is because the guy in in another Abraham story is named Abimelech also. And people go, look, there's two Abimelechs. Obviously, one of them is not real. But Abimelech was the name of a title. Uh, It wasn't the name of a person. Uh, Abimelech is father of the king in Hebrew, literally. So this was a, a probably a descendant of the Abimelech that Abraham dealt with. So any any questions about the story before we talk about the implications? <laughs> All right. so let's skip and let, let's do first um, what does this story because I think it's the easy with this story it might be the easiest. what does this story teach about us, who we are and what we should do as people? I think of the three questions I normally ask, this is probably the easiest from this story. I
1: that. Free?
0: Have faith. Don't tell people your wife's your sister. Don't be the Don't be around the path. Don't be around the path. Yeah. Learn from other mistakes.
1: Don't
2: assume that Something necessarily would be bad. Yeah. Uh, probably, probably would never have had anything happen to him if he had just uh, not made the assumption. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: yeah.
2: More faith of God,
1: he
0: probably wouldn't for sure? The the fear I really got be, to. Yeah. Have we
2: all do that. Though. My kid does that. My kid'll lie about yeah. something even well, have been
1: a big deal.
0: You yeah. What's going So still probably didn't, you know, kind of like last week where we said this we don't think the sin is that bad. You know oh. we don't feel like the lies. he didn't feel like maybe the lie was that bad. I don't feel like the sin is that bad.
2: Fear can drive us it. to a lot of bad things.
0: Yeah. It can. Um, when you compare, so you put this story up against Abraham actually did it twice. Um, we did it once in Egypt and once again with the Abimelech that was his Abimelech. Um, when you compare the the fact that Abraham did it twice, and then you have Isaac doing it again, does that teach us anything about us as people? We're what
2: we're hard headed,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah and it kind of goes with the saying hey if, if your family did it you kind of don't really learn from them you kind of do exactly what your family did mm-hmm.
0: true <laughs> uh, one thing that a person pointed out is this passage kind of shows us what we call the enslavement of sin that's that sin is like a, a capture that captures us and enslaves us and because of that, we can get into repeated patterns of sinning that it's hard to break out of. And this story compared with the Abraham stories kind of shows that this repeated pattern of sinning that's hard to break out of. And when we start talking about multi-generational sins between Abraham and Isaac, um, you know, I've seen that too today. You know, when I was teaching youth you would see mistakes the parents make being repeated by the kids. And it was crazy because even when the youth knew their parents were making mistakes, they were still doing the mistakes. And it, it you know, it's a bad, but it's this enslavement of sin. That sin is like something that captures us and overpowers us. It's not just something we do. And uh, sometimes it's hard to break out of that multi-generational mistake pattern in life. Even for these people in the Bible.
1: I mean, if nothing really bad happened to your family before they did it, then you're like, okay, well it's not gonna to happen to me, so I can keep doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's not gonna to happen to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't
1: really give you a chance to break it because you don't think anything's gonna bad, it's gonna happen to you.
0: Yeah, or you or you don't know how to respond to the situation because everybody of course just made the wrong decision. And so you just make the wrong decision too, because you don't know any other way to Deal with it other than the one that example you've been given your whole life. Say that again,
1: Joe.
0: Yeah. But well, we often lie because of
2: fear. Mm-hmm. <clears> or, <throat> you know, we, instead of following our faith, we wouldn't say dying because we're <coughs> When you read that though. Um, the first Abraham did, he, he brought a curse down upon the people.
0: God did, yeah.
2: So, but you know, look, Abimelech isn't that far from Egypt, so he knows what's going on. He sees this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he doesn't want that curse brought
1: down. Because Israelites.
0: Yeah. Well, and if this is the son of the Bim like Abraham dealt with, maybe you heard that story, too. Maybe that's another reason why he was so serious about it.
2: <laughs>
0: we are in the yeah. Um, one commentary pointed out that Abraham and Isaac were vastly different people in terms of their temperament. We kind of seen that already. Last week where Isaac loved Esau because he liked the food. And that was like, he just cared about the food given to him. And Abraham clearly had, even though he made mistakes, and he made several mistakes, he clearly had a a higher desire to follow God than Isaac did. So you see a different personality between Abraham and Isaac, even already. But despite Abraham being the father of the faith, the one that God says in this actual story, Abraham obeyed me. Which is a, a great sentence because we know he didn't obey him 100%, yet he still called him an obedient servant. Even though you have Abraham who's the obedient servant, and you have Isaac that's kind of the you know, lukewarm servant, and they both fall into the same sin. And he was pointing out that, um, that unless we have God's grace to help us, everybody from every range has potential to make stupid mistakes and sin. If we don't search for God to help us, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Abraham or an Isaac. Both people can make the same sins.
1: You're not living with God, oh God. Mm -hmm.
0: So it gives you kind of humility a little bit.
2: I wonder why God didn't go straight to Abraham. Yeah, no, why did he go straight to Jacob? Why did he even put on? Isaac in between. Um, I don't know. Because Isaac's kind of just there. You he, just... know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Why you mean why didn't Sarah just give birth to Jacob and skip Isaac altogether? I don't know. Certainly would have been a little bit easier. He didn't do much. Another thing that uh, people pointed out with this story is that based on that idea of that double meaning of caressing and also being a mockery from that word, that our sin, or at least when we sin out of fear or make poor decisions and don't follow God out of fear in itself makes us look bad and ultimately makes God look bad, that when we are fearful and don't follow God out of fear, it's almost like mocking God in front of other people. You know, he made God look bad in front of Abimelech and all the other people in the land because of that decision. He's the only one that follows God and he can't even follow him long enough to go through a famine. And in the same way, when we sin in front of people, our sin can tarnish God's reputation too, around and make it look we can be a mockery to God as well when we make those decisions.
2: When we don't speak up on God's behalf, or are we sinning?
0: When we don't speak up, like, what do you mean on God's behalf?
2: Well, I mean, uh, somebody's sinning at work, and you never say anything about it, except you don't speak
0: up. Um, I think it depends on the, the situation on who the person is. <laughs> you know, um, if somebody's not a Christian, we shouldn't expect non Christians to have a perfect Christian attitude all the time because they're not Christians. Um, But if somebody is, this claims to be a Christian, you know, we have a little bit more warrant to say something. And then we have even more warrant if the person is a member of our church. You know, specifically, the Bible seems to say, you know, when it says, recruit your brother, it means people in your church primarily, not just Christians everywhere. So there's almost like a staggered, system where, like, Christians, you really don't have to say much to non-Christians, I mean. Christians outside your church, yeah, probably you should say something to them, but Christians in your church definitely have more responsibility to say stuff when you see stuff. Junior, my question,
2: is
0: it a sin? I think it would depend on the situation, on what's happening. What they're doing. How you say it? As you suppose, you should go to them by
1: themselves, unless it's something like you've seen them commit murder. But you should go to them one on one and question them at the first to see what their motive was and kind of maybe try to take some sort of relationship so that they wouldn't post it or automatically have an offense to them. That would be the first step as a Christian to do what would say, if you felt like if you had some- <coughs> that, that they were doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd be a sin, but I think, I mean, how else is are they going to learn from it? Because God uses us to spread mm-hmm. His word and so mm-hmm. you be to the sides, you know, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I don't think He's going to count it as a sin, but mm-hmm. it's, He's using you,
0: yeah.
1: to change their perspective.
0: Yeah, and there's definitely a difference between uh, with somebody that's not a Christian, especially not saying anything and it being almost like a tacit approval of what's happening and, and restraining yourself. So you don't mean. you know, we are not supposed to make it look like we approve of sin, even if non-Christians are doing it. They're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to know and we're supposed to let them know if they're sinning. Uh, but like Joyce said, it, it doesn't have to be harshly. It needs to be nicely. Sometimes being quiet is a tacit approval of what's going on. And that's when it is a sin if you don't say something.
1: I don't think that is one of the situations where the conscious, like it, it's very individual. Mm-hmm. Like if you feel really guilty about not saying something, then you probably should have said something. Yeah. That's probably um, true. But it's one of the situations where we joke about don't create a law, but there is no law. Just because you feel extremely strong about it doesn't mean the person next to you necessarily that may feel like, ooh, I don't really like this, but it did say to me, but if i think thinking more of a conscious. Like, if it's something really, really bothered you, you
0: probably should have yeah. said something. That's what I'm mean. It's like it really depends on the situation. Yeah. Hard to give a black and white answer on that question. All right. So. This story talks a lot about how fear can drive us to sin. We talked about the repeating patterns enslavement of sin, the repeating patterns, multi generational issues, uh, how we can make a mockery of God when we sin and tarnish God's reputation in front of other people, all these things that we get from this story. Uh, my question is then, where, where do we see the hope of Christ in the story? How many people are
2: making a better time? You kind of just build them out. I yeah. No what he was to do, he felt what he falling upwards, like he mm-hmm. protected
0: at you. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. You know, despite everything he was doing, yeah, God he still him. saved him. No, he had to him. Yeah, and that isn't that a great example of what happens to us? You know, even though we fail Him and make all these sins, God comes to us and He bails us out, without forgiveness, and protects us in every way like we didn't even do it. And that's the definition of salvation. Yeah. Yeah, because like I said, we know Abraham wasn't perfect, and yet that's the way that God described him. What's interesting about, and we're talking about Christ, is in that passage, God basically says, Isaac, you're getting the promises because your dad, Abraham, was obedient to me. So Isaac receiving the promises had nothing to do with his obedience at all. He was, his, his receiving blessings in life had to deal with it, but the promise of Abraham came to him simply because his father, Abraham, was obedient. Now, we don't go to heaven because our parents were Christians, but... There was one person whose act of obedience is the reason why I'm good, and it's not Abraham's, it's Christ's. And so somebody turned to um, Romans 12, 19. Who wants to get Romans 12, 19 through 21? Who wants that? <laughs> All
2: right,
0: Romans 12, 19 through 21.
1: Yes. Do not take
0: the do not take the revenge on your friends, but leave up for Oswald. What is written? It is not written. I don't think you're in the right place. I'll make sure I got the right one.
1: Oh, I have
0: a look on the phone. Probably a typo. I'm sure it's
1: not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not Jen, now I've got Where is that passage? That is a typo.
1: Um, is it three? Uh, no oh I had a perfect passage and now we can't find it oh here we go Is six Roman six um yeah. nope, Romans 5. 5, 19 through 21. Uh, 5, through 21. Okay. For so this is the disobedience of the one man, the many, the many were made sinners. So also through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. We were all born into an average physical mind. Oh, that's just a, a sign. Of the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that this is sin reigns in death, so all grace might me, through righteousness, to bring eternal life to Jesus Christ
0: our Lord. Yeah. Verse 19 says, through one man's, Disobedience, the many were made sinner, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. There's actually multiple places in that chapter where it mentions that, but the point being, through Jesus' one obedience, he being the obedient one with the capital T and O, um, we receive the promise of God. And similar to Isaac, even when we fall, we still receive the promise of salvation. Not because we've maintained it with our goodness, but because we have somebody the force that already secured the promise for us by his obedience to the cross. And that's Jesus. He's the way we get promised salvation. And then of course, you also see Jesus in this passage because if, if sin is something that traps us and keeps us in a repeating pattern of doing things that we can't break out of, Jesus is the only answer to getting out of that crisis. And that's in Romans, that that hopefully, if it's the right passage, Romans 6. Um, All
1: right, um, it.
0: All right. Romans 6 yeah. verse
1: 7 for he who has died is
0: free to sin verse 19. so do you not know that when you present yourselves to become a slave for obedience you are a slave the one who you obey either a slave of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness but thanks be to God that though we are slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you have committed. you be freed from sin and you become slaves of righteousness. So it's through Christ that we have become freed of our slavery of sin.
2: But the Holy Spirit leads us, it enables us yes. yeah. to fight sin. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Christ breaks us out of this labor to sin and the Holy Spirit in us continues to empower us day by day to resist those temptations we have. And that's something that lost people don't have, is that Holy Spirit empowering. Well, that Romans 5 one was going to be really cool until we couldn't find it. <laughs> uh. So, anyways, is there any other comments? We'll just stop there. It's already 7.30 30. Um, so, if there's any other comments that questions that you all want to make before we close it up? In this passage in Genesis 26, verse 4, just a foreshadowing
2: of Jesus, as you see, it talks about an offspring and the determination of
1: the earth shall be blessed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pretty obvious one there yeah, you know. yeah that one's the same as the blessing to abraham putting earlier you know this uh that passage chapter 26 1 through 11 to me when i think about it and just as including more you know it's a story that in a lot of ways is sobering because it's dealing with sin and and just letting fear get to you not having faith in god when you should and all this stuff we talk about but in the end you know, like i said it's encouraging when we see that God bailed him out, and why, and how that connects to us in our relationship to Christ. And in the end, even though we should be aware of the entrapment of sin that he can do to us, aware of the fact that we can repeat the people, generations before us, we can repeat their sins, and the people after us can repeat ours, we also can celebrate the fact that the promises aren't based on whether we're obedient, it's based on the fact that Christ has been obedient for us. And in that way, this passage has a lot of hope. And you can read it with a lot of hope. In the way could sin like that. So let me pray for us. And we'll close out. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be here today and for the reminder of this passage. And um, Lord, it's always good to be reminded of the danger of fear and how it can affect our faith in you and the promises that we have. And uh, the reminder, too, that we can all fall. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would have pe- be people that have faith in you. And Lord, we are thankful. To that our salvation is not based on our obedience, but based on our faith in you, what Jesus, you did on the cross, down the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, people who live worthy of that calling and in, in the fear of you over the fear of other things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Brenda. See ya.
1: Okay.